1: The
0: following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Peak, where plants and science intersect, unlock the power of functional plants, and unleash our collective potential with supplements of unrivaled efficacy, purity, and convenience. You all know I freaking love tea, right? I mean, I talk about it ad infinitum on social media. I talk about it with my patients. You can't shut me up when it comes to tea. And my favorite tea, and has been for years, has been peak tea. I drink it every day in between consulting patients online. I love all their different flavors, all the different types of tea. And I just love the people behind the company too. I mean, Simon Chang, who's actually been on the show, is such an awesome person. Listen to the episode if you haven't, because he's so smart and knows so much about tea and just walks... The walk, when it comes to wellness and understanding this this passion that he has. And you also know that I love intermittent fasting. I talk about it at length in intuitive fasting. It's a tool that I've used clinically over the past decade, consulting patients online. And it's something that I do every day in my personal life too. And peak fasting teas are actually my secret weapon. I talk about it in intuitive fasting. You know, uh, this is the real deal for me. Peaks fasting teas are actually blended with other functional plants specifically designed to shut down appetite, support our energy and our mood, and enhance the benefits of intermittent fasting. You get concentrated catechins to support healthy ghrelin levels to combat hunger pangs. You get some healthy balanced levels of caffeine and L-theanine for sustained energy without the jitters and polyphenols to support healthy skin metabolism, mood, gut health, and more. We get asked, no joke, probably on a daily basis, what I recommend for skin health and what I do for my skin routine. Well, skin health is an inside job and tea is one way to support healthy skin for sure. So go to peaktea.com slash Will and use code Will at checkout to get 5% off site-wide plus free shipping when you purchase a bundle. You can even shop my own curated fasting bundle. There's a reason Peak has over 15,000 five-star reviews. Try it for yourself, risk-free, with their 30-day satisfaction guarantee. You either love it or you get your money back. With summer coming and people getting back into healthy habits, the fasting teas are selling fast. So be sure to stock up. That's peaktea.com spelled P-I-Q-U-E, TEA.com slash Will Cole and use code Will Cole for 5% off site-wide plus free shipping when you purchase a bundle. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole, leading functional medicine expert and best-selling author. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up, everyone? It's Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine practitioner. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago. I love getting to the root cause of why people are struggling with their health issues, giving them answers, and then giving them tools to have agency over their health and start reclaiming their life back. That's an awesome thing to see, and it never gets old. I've written a few books about these topics as well. My first book is called Ketotarian. It's a clean, mostly plant-based Mediterranean ketogenic diet. Second book is called The Inflammation Spectrum. My newest book is called Intuitive Fasting. If you want to learn more about the books, about the telehealth center, check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. Let's get to today's wonderful guest. Her name is Dr. Jolene Brighton. She is a dear friend of mine, brilliant, brilliant clinician. She is also a prominent leader in women's medicine and the emerging science of post-birth control syndrome, studying the effects of hormonal birth control on female health. A fierce patient advocate and completely dedicated to uncovering the root cause of hormonal imbalances. Dr. Brighton empowers women worldwide to take control of their health and their hormones. She is an international speaker, clinical educator, medical advisor within the tech community, and considered a leading authority on women's health. Dr. Brighton is also part of the Mind Body Green Collective, which so am I, and a faculty member for the American Academy of Anti Aging Medicine. Her work has been featured in the New York Post, Forbes Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Huffington Post, Bustle, The Guardian and ABC News. Some of the things that I really enjoyed talking with her today, and I learned a lot, and I know you will love it as well. We talk about Dr. Brighton's personal experience herself with COVID-19 and what her diagnosis looked like, what her symptoms looked like, what her journey with COVID-19 looked like. We talk about the potential relationship between autoimmune conditions and COVID-19. You definitely want to check out that part of the conversation. We talk about how vitamin D is a critical for immune function and how it exactly works. Jolene's pregnancy journey and how autoimmunity has a variety of potential effects on pregnant women. We talk about hormonal birth control and the potential for inflammation and its specific effects on the body. We talk about the importance of being educated and empowered about your birth control options. And we talk about Dr. Brighton's tip for the art of being well. Let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Jolene Brighton. My friend, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me here. As we were saying before we hit record, it's like we haven't seen each other in so long. Like, it's true. It's I missed. I like, yeah. I miss our desert hikes in uh, in Arizona. <laughs>
0: me too. What happened, man? Twenty twenty was just like a big pause button on everybody's lives. But now we're in twenty twenty one. Hopefully, things start rolling in the right direction. But who knows? I mean, we don't know what mm-hmm. what's it going to be. But I talked about your amazing work in the introduction. Your book. Let me just say this: your book is the resource. For female health, and I don't say that flippantly. I mean, Beyond the Pill is just the it's who I if patients want a resource to further reading. That's what I send them to. But
1: I appreciate that. That yeah, means a lot.
0: It is definitely true. But before we get into female health, and we'll talk about birth control. We're going to talk about all that stuff because I want people to have the, this information, and this is what you your work is very very important. But before we get into that, coming out of I mean, last year you had COVID Um, Mm -hmm. and I saw a little bit of it from social media, Um, but like we said, like no one's been seeing each other and just tell me about that, what, what you went through. And then I find it super interesting, the craziness that came around it of just the blowback that you got from the health community, which I didn't even know, like what the heck is going on. So yeah, fill me in on all that stuff.
1: 2020 was, um, very revealing of, of people. Yeah. It was, it was, I was taken back by the whole thing. Like when you are literally gasping for air and you're on oxygen in bed and suddenly people are saying that like, you work for the government, you're part of this like evil, like conspiracy. And this is like, I'm like, Mm. I don't understand. Like we know each other. We've been friends for years. You know me. You could text me. You could be like, "Are you part of the evil empire?" Like we could have a conversation about that. Yeah. But I think you know part of it is that I uh, was diagnosed with COVID in April, so it was very early on. I was pretty confident. I think, like so many people in the functional space, that you know, if you were healthy, then you wouldn't have any issues. And I knew I was healthy because I had just had. All this lab work done in February. Funny enough, I had my Dutch panel. I got my results a couple weeks before I got diagnosed, and um, it was like the first time in my doctor life that my co- my cortisol pattern was like perfect. Like t- this is goals. If people know this, like this is goals. Like I was like, whoa, my my stress is under wraps. Um, my my aura ring was super dialed in. I was getting deep sleep, like. I had all these parameters dialed in and you know why I had done all this lab testing coincidentally is because in 2019, I prepped everything, sold everything I owned and was going to set out to travel 20 countries in 2020. And before you do that, you want to be sure that like you're healthy and there's nothing that's going to come up. So I was good. And I, based on that, I mean, my even living in the Pacific Northwest, my vitamin D looked perfect. Everybody's like, you know, was really kind in sending me vitamin D studies and being like, you just need vitamin D for COVID. I'm like, my vitamin D is in the mid eighties and uh, (laughs) I'm still taking it. And it's, it's not the thing that's, that's doing it for me. And the other thing that was odd is that I had uh, not left the house for three weeks. So in Puerto Rico, where I'm at, they had a very, very strict quarantine before any other state went um, into lockdown. We straight up quarantined. And I'm not talking about, oh, like shelter in place, or we were not allowed to leave our house uh, unless it was a medical uh, necessity or we needed food. And if you did leave your house for any other reason, people were going to jail for six months at a time and being fined $5,000. Like it wow. was. No joke. We actually stepped off of our, like our property into the communal grass and a police officer showed up, um, and told us that we would be arrested if we did not stay. And I'm like, what is happening? And I'm, I'm a rule follower. I'm pretty compliant with these kinds of things of like, okay, like, um, you know, to a degree, (laughs) but I was, so I didn't leave the house for three weeks. My husband went out, he got food, he made one trip. We stocked up everything. And then I got sick and I thought, this is impossible. This, like, I haven't had contact. Also, so I didn't have fever. I didn't have a cough. This is important because I'll get to why I think a lot of us long haulers um, don't get a fever to begin with based on the research that's come out in October. Um, what really started with is that My lymph nodes in my left armpit and uh, they they swelled up and my breast hurts on the left side only that I thought I had mastitis and I was like this is the wrong part of my cycle to have breast tenderness like this isn't what this is this is so odd and then what came is this very mild shortness of breath where I was having trouble going up the stairs now I have four flights of stairs I was like well maybe you're just not used to this maybe you're getting older you know how we all rationalize these things. and then came the day where I woke up and I tried to walk to the bathroom and I almost passed out because I couldn't breathe and I couldn't get enough oxygen. I called two friends who were ER doctors, both of which were like, you know, you you know you have to go to the ER and you likely have COVID. And I was like, is, I'm healthy. I don't understand. Um, I got, really got humbled through all of this because I did have to go to the emergency room. I was positive for COVID. There... I denied a ventilator at that time, which is all that they had for me. I wasn't severe enough, but if they held me, I might've gotten there. And I was like, I'm not going on a ventilator because, and this is really important. People don't just willy nilly deny medical treatment. My CT and chest x-ray were totally clear. So I'm like, if my lungs are totally clear, we -hmm. need to do something else here. Um, We don't need to take, take over for that. But I cannot get oxygen in. So, They sent me home. They wouldn't have sent me home if I wasn't a doctor. But we had the understanding that I would come back. if My pulse ox hit certain parameters. It was dropping below 90. I was immediately going back. And with that, and it did at times, but I was able to just be on oxygen, turn up my oxygen, get it back up. What is really interesting about being in the hospital in Puerto Rico is that when I went to take my supplements, so I brought like a huge bag of like supplements, snacks, Shout out to like paleo valleys, um, (laughs) meat sticks. I was packing those because the hospital food is like, it's not, it's not the food you eat to heal. Um, yeah. And I had like green powder mix and I was like, I'm going to be ready. They, the nurses actually came over and helped me take my supplements. The doctors were like, Oh great. You're taking vitamin C. This is fantastic. Like, wow. Oh, you're taking this NAC. Like what, what are you taking this for? Yeah. Like continue doing that as we have these discussions. You don't get that usually in a hospital. Usually they're no. like, we're taking away everything. Yeah. Um, so it was really impressed. Uh, and very grateful for that. yeah. And the doctors were like, listen, what you need to heal from this, like we don't have anything for you. I did use HCQ, spoiler, it didn't work. Um, but, uh, you know, in April, it was like the best thing we got. And right. I'm all about like, let's, you know, when you think you're going to die, you're like, okay, give me, give me what you got right now. So with that though, you know, my doctors, they said in the hospital, they were like, listen, what it takes to heal and the best thing you can do is get really good sleep and have really good nutrition. And you're not going to get that here at the hospital. Like you're better off being at home. So Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for that. So um, I went home and I, for three weeks, we, you know, I thought like when, you know, each day I was like, okay, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. When I started HCQ, I was like, okay. And it was the HCQ CPAC and copious amounts of zinc plus quercetin going on. And I thought, you know, I was being told like, oh yeah, you're going to get better. You're going to notice it and, like, within three days. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And in fact, I just kept getting worse. And so there was a good three weeks there where my husband and I were just making sure all of our affairs were in order that like every, in, like in case I passed, that we had oh, everything gosh. in place. I was making videos for my son. Oh um, my
0: gosh, Jolene. Wow.
1: Yeah. It was, um, I'm trying not to uh, get choked up as I talk about this. I did. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, and the whole time I just kept being like, how in the heck is this happening to me? Like, and that's where I think a lot of the wellness space, you know, they, they kind of turned on me where they were like, no, she really has diabetes and she's lying about it. I'm like, no, I did a hemoglobin A1C. I had a fasting insulin done. Um, I have done continuous glucose monitoring. Like, That's not it. When your hemoglobin A1C is like 4.6, you know. No, I do not have diabetes. Like, that's not what's going on. Right. Um, and that's back where, you know, it, it really revealed the stigmatization. Uh, that it happens in medicine altogether, but also in the wellness community that, like, um, the expectation that, like, if you get sick, it's your fault, that it's somehow your fault. And that's a lot. People were looking for how it was my fault. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had people saying to me, like, you're super stressed. It was because you're so stressed out. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, wait a minute. I just had my Dutch results like my cortisol my DHEA my melatonin my progesterone like it looked amazing like that's not the picture of somebody who's overly stressed like I've been overly stressed and not gotten sick like this and so you know I think that was a big part of it I think because it was early on we had less of an understanding of things what really saddens me is to still see the rhetoric being played out that if you just eat right and exercise and take the right supplements then you'll be untouchable by covid yeah. and it's not true. Right. So, you know, if uh, people who have been following, if you go to my Instagram and my highlights, there's health update and then there's health update too. And it's in my story highlights. And uh, you can see me in the hospital where I'm gray. I'm literally gray. <laughs> I look back at that. And I'm like, God, I look so bad. How did I? And I'm like, also, like, how did I not look in the mirror and be like, girl, this is not right? Go to the hospital <laughs> um, because I hate going to the hospital. Doctors yeah. are the worst patients. We really are. We're like, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Um, yeah. So you can look at that. There was a point where I just had to stop documenting. I did. I actually did a live. It, you, you guys will hear me speaking now, and then you'll go see those stories, and you'll be like, oh my god. She could barely talk. Um, I did do an Instagram live and I just shared about having post-COVID syndrome and long haulers is, you know, also what it gets called. And the people were mean. And I realized that like, I had to step back. Like I was sharing in a way to help others. And there were lots of people who were like, oh my God, I'm going through this as well. Like I had trigeminal neuralgia, like I developed trigeminal neuralgia. I had severe brain fog. I have Hashimoto's. So I've had brain fog in the past. This is mm-hmm. like, I was like, this is like dementia. Like at times there was just things that like my husband would tell me that I'm like, that's just not right. Like, that's just not right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, severe fatigue. Um, it's, there's a immunologist who actually contracted COVID. And he said, the best thing is that, post covid is like uh you're going the speed limit or you're trying to go the speed limit, but you don't actually know what it is and you don't know what the consequences are going to be for violating that and mm-hmm. so you're every day you try to set out and do something, and there would be days where it's like I went downstairs i mean I didn't go downstairs and eat breakfast with my family until like th- three months um wow. later, and I would go downstairs and then that would be I have to go upstairs and nap for like two hours. It was crazy um to go through that and so you know, I think it's important for people to understand. And I, uh, you know, cause they're like, well, what happened? You dropped off. I realized that like, when you are sick like that, you don't have the same mental resiliency. And if that stuff gets in, it is very, very toxic for your healing. It's just like hitting a roadblock. And so I did just take a break from that where I'm like, we're just not going to talk about that right now. Um, you know, cause people just had a lot of horrible things to say about <laughs> me that I was like, You know, as I was sharing with you, I told my husband two days ago, it was like the first time I was like, I actually feel like myself. And part of that is that when the haters come, I'm just like, go deal with your stuff somewhere else. Like I recommend BetterHelp. It's online. You can have a counselor, but I'm not here for, for this.
0: Today's program is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage I have ever tried for sure. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients it needs to thrive. We have busy schedules, maybe some of us aren't sleeping very well, no judgment, I know it happens to the best of us, and exercise and even the stress that that brings about, even the good stress, like exercise, uh, it's still stress. And our environment, or just simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave us deficient in key nutrients. This is where Athletic Greens can help. It is a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood powder is your nutritional essential. It is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can have and add to your daily routine today and empower towards better habits. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you one thing with all the best things. You all know what I'm doing during the day. I'm consulting people 11 plus hours a day and I'm back-to-back as far as patients are concerned. And I have to be on my game. I have to be really holding space for people that are going through really serious health issues. I have to be alert. I have to be sharp. I have to be intellectually flexible and emotionally flexible sometime to really give them everything that they need during their visit with me. So just one tasty scoop of Athletic Greens I love it so much because it contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multi mineral, probiotic, a green superfood blend, and more that all work together synergistically to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increases energy levels and focus, and aids with digestion and supports a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products or pills. They are offering my audience... A free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash Will and join health experts like me, athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash Will and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Have you all heard about June Shine yet? June Shine Heart Kombucha is the most insanely delicious better for you alcohol. It's made with real organic ingredients and unlike other alcoholic beverages, they are transparent about every ingredient they put in their products. It's actually better for you alcohol. It has real functional ingredients, is low in sugar, it's easy on the gut, it's gluten free and full of probiotics. June Shine is the champagne of kombucha, that's how I think of it. They actually use green tea and honey as opposed to black tea and sugar for a smoother, less acidic taste. Best of all, it doesn't leave you with that I'm too full after drinking feeling, but it does give you a lighter, brighter buzz. June Shine is sustainably produced. They just committed to becoming 100% carbon neutral. That's awesome. They donate 1% of all sales to environmental nonprofits and their brewery is powered by 100% renewable solar. That's awesome. And they plant trees for all those used to make their six pack boxes. Juneshine is now delivering nationwide to your doorstep. Yes, you can get alcohol delivered to your doorstep and hassle free. I am loving their new chili mango flavor. You have to try that. Plus they have variety packs, so many different flavors. You have to check this out. We've worked out an exclusive deal for the Art of Being Well podcast listeners. Receive 20% off plus free shipping site Wide, I recommend trying one of their best-selling variety packs. You can see which one's your favorite. It's a great way to try out all these delicious flavors that they have. So go to JuneShine.com/WillCole or use code WillCole at checkout to claim this deal. That's J-U-N-E-S-H-I-N-E.com/WillCole. JuneShine can also be found in over ten thousand stores across the country, including Whole Foods, Safeway, Kroger, and Publix.
1: What's up, well-beings? I'm Kelly Noonan-Goris, and this is The Heal Podcast. Every Thursday, I interview the leading experts in health and healing, as well as real people with extraordinary healing stories. Whether you want to heal a physical diagnosis, a mental health issue, a past trauma, or heal our planet— the Heal Podcast is for you. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss that one episode that holds the answers you've been searching for. You can follow us on Instagram at @healdocumentary Documentary and at Kelly Gores and catch episode clips on Heal Documentary's YouTube channel. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday anywhere podcasts are found. So, you know, what happened? Why did I get so sick? That's been like the biggest yeah. question. And- uh, what, have, what have
0: you found? I mean, you mentioned, we've talked a little bit before we started air, uh, recording is this autoimmune connection with the long haulers. So let's talk about it.
1: Yeah, so there was a study that came out in October. It's actually, it was put on blast by like Medscape. So doctors who are part of Medscape or even just, you know, any of these, um, you know, I belong to all these conventional databases. Uh, it's It's been going around there as well that they found in this study, and it wasn't like a huge amount of people, but this is very telling, that 10% of these people who developed severe COVID, that was unexpected. They didn't have cardiovascular disease. They didn't have diabetes. They weren't obese. So it was basically me. Like, why do these people under 40 end up with such severe cases of COVID? Well, as it turns out, COVID is actually uh, activating autoantibodies to their interferon. So your ability to mount a response is being impeded by your own immune system. So it's it's kind of a trip, right? You're like yeah. your immune system needs to attack like the the SARS two COVID virus. That instead, what we see happening is that it starts attacking your interferon. So your chemical messengers that sound the alarm and get you to do things like have a fever are actually not responding. And so it's something that I wonder about myself. Like We know viral load is is why we think people get severe cases. But I wonder if prior to that three weeks of me being in quarantine, if I actually got exposed before then, and because my body wasn't able to handle it, this autoimmune activation, and maybe it was lower, but the virus allowed to replicate, if that's why things went the way they did. And Mm -hmm. really... I mean for people listening with auto uh, antibodies viruses we know that viruses can trigger this really any infection can trigger this right. but, you know we see it with like EBV and which is Epstein barr virus and Hashimoto's so this was really eye opening to me because what we know about the immune system is that once you lose tolerance to yourself so once you get one autoimmune condition you're susceptible to others and I have Hashimoto's and this is something that like I've had my TPO antibodies in remission for years now. I think it's been probably about six years now. They've not come up positive through COVID. I was testing because I was like, maybe this is my thyroid. My thyroid looks so good. Um, I was like, what's going on? There was that moment of like, high inflammation, high reverse T3 Mm -hmm. in the early phase. But that's like what your body should do so that you rest and, and you heal from that. But otherwise, it was very remarkable that I didn't see any of those antibodies come up. But this is something now that some hospitals in other countries, we really need to, in my opinion, implement this in the U.S., When you come in with symptoms, they could actually test for antibodies against interferon and they can predict if you'll have a severe case and they can treat you differently. So this may be in part, we know vitamin D is really crucial to the entire immune system. So Mm -hmm. um, if you don't got vitamin D, I mean, you're going to be susceptible uh, to like every infection that comes along. But we know it's a key player in immune system regulation and autoimmunity. And so mm-hmm. that also makes me question is, is this why vitamin D is such a, having such profound effects in some of these populations? So mm-hmm. it was a moment where like I, I read that paper and I literally was like, oh, it's me. Finally, like something yeah. makes sense because I, I really thought it was going to be like another decade before I actually knew what happened, right. like waiting so, for the right. research. Mm-hmm. But it, And, you know, when I shared it with my husband, he's like, you know, you thought this was autoimmune. You said that early on. I didn't even remember that um, because it was so early on. But he's like, you said, like, I think this is autoimmune. This feels autoimmune because of all of the weird kind of changeable symptoms yeah. and everything that was going on. But yeah. It so makes sense. This-
0: I mean, this molecular mimicry that's happening with the virus, with someone with autoimmune, like you said, it's at an increased mm-hmm. risk for other autoimmune inflammation, hyperinflammatory problems.
1: Yeah. Um, and just so everyone understands though, just because you have autoimmunity doesn't mean you'll have a severe case right. of COVID. We're not seeing evidence of that. I likely just have the genes. So my yeah. body's like, Let's do this. Yeah, it's not as simple.
0: It's not as simple like you said. All people with autoimmunity don't be overly fearful because I've seen the opposite. I've seen opposite cases here too where people with poly autoimmunity, different autoimmune issues, then they have mild cases. So you can't lump everybody with autoimmunity in the same even though we want to, (laughs) but that reductionist perspective doesn't work. It's a lot more complex than that. well, and
1: it's really scary right now. Like people get really scared. I made a TikTok video about this and they're like, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Does this mean it's gonna happen to me? And like your immune system and the course of autoimmunity is determined by your genes. There is so much that we can do in terms of the environment. But I think this is something too of like, you know, because I got the virus early on, we know it's gonna mutate. It's never it's never going to go away, and it's likely going to become less virulent. Like viruses yeah. want to live with you; they just they want to live in a host, they want to be your BFF, they want to insert like in in your cellular machinery and just have you keep reproducing them. That. Like yeah. that's the virus's goal. Um, right. You know, there's odd ones like like you know HIV is one of those odd ones of like why are you killing your host? Like so you can't live without it. Um, but, Masochistic so some, virus,
0: <laughs> suicidal yeah. virus.
1: Totally. Um, So this is something that like, I think also there was something to me getting it early on and it Mm -hmm. took, I would say like a good six months before I really started feeling okay. And as I was sharing with you before we started recording, it's just been this week that I've had three days in a row that I can actually work out. Now Mm -hmm. this is, uh, crazy to me, but I, you know, I used because before I got sick, I was lifting weights regularly, doing cardio, like no issues with any, any exercise intolerance. And yet with having post COVID, I like, I would start working out. I would like, I would lift, you know, I would end up lifting like 40 pounds for like a deadlift and I would shoot up with tachycardia. So like my heart rate is like 120. My pulse ox is dropping to like 94. My head is pounding and I have to like sit and that's after like three reps. And so it's really been enlightening. And the you know, piece of my case that I have to share that's unique because I don't want people to hook into like, okay, so like there's the six month mark or, you know, there's all this is that, um, we decided to get pregnant after I started feeling better. <laughs> and it was, uh, so guys, I'm pregnant now. Congratulations. Um, thank you. We also don't know what will happen, you know, having had COVID, um, we're monitoring everything though. And my doctors, I have a high risk OB, regular OB, and they're like, you look amazing. Like this is a very healthy pregnancy. So thank goodness. And so people understand this was, a uh, you know, cause people might be like, what the heck are you doing? Getting pregnant? Well, one, TikTok, I only got so much time. Um, <laughs> but two, we had wanted to have another child. My son became sick. If you've been following my journey, mm-hmm. I am, my son became sick with pandas, which is an autoimmune condition of the brain. It sounds cute, but you really just want to punch it in the face. There's no panda.
0: There's no cute panda no
1: people are like oh pandas is so cute what is it i'm like the devil it's literally (laughs) the devil it's the worst and you you know anyone just go to youtube look at a panda's child and you'll understand that bringing the baby into that scenario is not the best call plus we wanted to really focus on healing him and Mm -hmm. it was when i was so so sick and as i was sharing with you like being on your deathbed literally you're like here's my regrets. Here's the things. And it was, you know, having another child. And when I looked back at the, you know, protocol that I've been on for myself, like really one of the game changers for me with post-COVID was supporting my mitochondria. And really, um, you know, I had been taking like glutathione, NAC, because any glutathione is great, but NAC is very specific to biofilms um, that can be created in the lungs. So when you get a viral infection, yes, that's a concern. But the secondary bacterial pneumonia, that's like also a very big concern. So mm-hmm. it was taking that. I had CoQ10 on board. I upped my CoQ10 um, even more. My B vitamins, I was like, how much B vitamins can I take? I was taking like 30 grams of vitamin C orally or getting it in my vein. And when I looked at all of that, I was like, you've been on an amazing fertility protocol. And my husband has actually been on, this is a fertility protocol that we've been on. Um, Turns out, you know, everything that supports mitochondria also supports uh, fertility. And that's when we were like, well, maybe we should just try because like, you know, the clock's ticking. We don't even know if it's going to be possible. And then we got pregnant immediately, which is I was sharing you, like statistically, it's about a 5% chance that I would become pregnant. So I was like, we're going to probably have to try for a while I got pregnant immediately and I was like, oh, well, 2021 thing worked out. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. But what's interesting is that at about six weeks, things started to really improve. So the migraines, the trigeminal neuralgia, all of that started to go away. The shooting pains I was having, I had a lot of neurological stuff going on, started to go away. Now I just turned 15 weeks. And I feel amazing. Like I feel so amazing. And I'll say that I've been pregnant before and that first trimester fatigue is the worst. And it was nothing compared to COVID. Like I actually had more energy. And so it's very interesting because one, maybe pregnancy is the solution for post COVID syndrome in my situation, but I am now bathing in a ton of hormones that are actually neuro-regenerative. Like they're going to protect your nervous system and help it regenerate. And babies lending me some stem cells. So there might also be something to that as well. Yeah. Um, but that's just been, I'm just sharing this with your anyone experience. just because yeah. it's such a fascinating journey. To yeah, it's be very on fascinating. And, and we yeah. see
0: that too, clinically, obviously, you and I have seen the, the shifts when people get pregnant, the impact that has on someone's autoimmune or inflammatory problem, it's this protective shift of the immune system because of the hormones. It's fascinating. Right.
1: Really Which fascinating. is why I'm not going to be testing for, people are, uh, that I've shared this study with, they're like, oh, so you're going to go get tested um, for those antibodies? And I'm like, it's very unlikely that I will find them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I still want to try to locate a lab and just see, but it's, I mean, like, it's, it's like, so many autoimmune conditions go into remission yeah. when you are pregnant. And so people understand Th1 is the aspect of the immune system that really fights viruses and bacteria, but it also can be a primary driver of autoimmunity. And when you get pregnant, it is not that you are, have no immune system or your immune system dampened. It's that you shift into a Th2 dominance. And this is not your body being stupid or sabotaging you. It's because if you were still in that Th1 state, you have a potential of your immune system detecting baby as the foreign entity it is. It's not you. So, your immune system's job is to seek and destroy anything that's not you. Mm -hmm. So, your body, to help you maintain this pregnancy, shifts you into this Th2. Mm -hmm. There are some autoimmune conditions we'll see. You know, uh, Graves is one that comes up more during pregnancy. But otherwise, a vast majority of them go into remission. And if they don't, that can actually be predictive of postpartum issues. Because once postpartum hits, your immune system's like, okay, I got you. We're going to bring TH1 back. Your hormones drop. They're not protecting you. And then the worst thing you can do for autoimmunity um, or health in general is not sleep, be highly stressed, have irregular meals, pretty much everything that happens in postpartum. So
0: right, exactly. it's,
1: uh, you know, it's a situation that I think um, is important for women to understand those nuances and to mm-hmm. also understand that If you are planning on conceiving or you are pregnant with autoimmunity, it doesn't mean that you will not have a healthy pregnancy. You absolutely can, but you need professionals monitoring you. And I actually recommend... You know, Having an OB or midwife, fantastic. Having mm-hmm. a high risk. I don't really care what age you are. We should get a high risk OB just to be surveying baby because some of these autoantibodies do cross the placenta, like TPO antibodies, and that yeah. can affect baby's thyroid. That should be checked in the third trimester in most cases. And then you really got to be working with a functional provider as well because... There are great birth providers and they're looking at the mama baby unit, but they're very hyper-focused on baby. And you need someone who's going to be very hyper-focused on you, who also understands the nutrition component and understands the lifestyle component because these very specialized providers, they're awesome at what they do, but they can't do it all. So you really need a team in these situations. So you guys, you better believe I have a team.
0: As you all know, I am consulting people all day long at my Functional Medicine Telehealth Center. And I've done that for the past 11 years, over 11 years at this point. So I'm staring at a screen all day long. And when I'm not consulting patients, I'm writing articles, I'm reading research, I'm doing case reviews. I mean, like so many of us, a lot of my life is on my computer or on my phone. And it could do a number on my eyes. It can cause my eyes to be more dry, sore, And just get that digital eye strain, watery eyes, fatigue, even headaches sometimes. It's not good to be always staring at a screen. One of the ways that I protect my eyes during my day is Blue Blocks. I love these glasses, specifically when I'm consulting patients. And if you're my patient, you'll know this, that I'm putting the glasses on when I start my consults. Uh, I'll put on my favorite Aviator Blue Light computer glasses from Blue Blocks Because they really help my eyes. And if I don't wear them or if I forget a pair at home, I really notice it when I'm done consulting patients. They make a major difference on my eye health. My eyes aren't sore anymore. They aren't strained. They're not watering. I don't feel fatigued. I don't get headaches at all from looking at screens all day long. So blue blocks are actually made in optics laboratories in Australia, not mass produced in factories in Asia. They are super stylish frames that have been featured in QC and Vogue, and they're science backed technology tested to ensure they work, unlike other blue light glasses companies. Glasses come in non-prescription, prescription, and reading options. Glasses for every need, Blue Light for helping with digital eye strain, Summer Glow for helping with low mood and migraines, and Sleep Plus for improving your sleep. Blue Blocks also has other amazing products such as low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, and 100% blackout sleep masks, all backed by science. Blue Blocks ships worldwide in rapid time. I got mine very quickly, I might add. And they have easy returns and exchange policies. Go to blueblocks.com slash and use coupon code Will Cole to save 15%. That's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash Will Cole and use coupon code Will Cole to save 15%. You will not regret it. Check it out. You're on the rebound. You're beautifully pregnant you are, I, let's confirm this. You're not part of the Illuminati or MP Ultra. I am Ultra. not a part of the Illuminati. Okay.
1: <laughs> so we're good. We are. I uh, was <laughs> uh, laughing <laughs> though because, like, it's a trip. There's like this, like, cabal thing going around where, like, I mean, these people were like, love and light. And by the way, you're the evil cabal. And I'm like, what? Like,
0: I'm sick. Like, Thank you very much. I um, had to go Google
1: yeah. it. And I was like, What is all of this about? Like, I'm sick and you're like coming in to tell me that I'm basically part of this like evil conspiracy to like take over the world. And I'm just like, oh, I don't know that I have energy for world takeover. I just don't know.
0: (laughs) I'm just trying to live. Thanks very much. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So I want to spend the next part of the show talking about birth control. It's a major part of your work and it's really important So let's talk about how many women are on birth control. Why are they on birth control? Because you and I both uh, probably know what people think. A lot of people. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. Shed some light on that topic.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's about 11 million women is the estimate in the United States. About 100 million women worldwide. And of course, through 2020, I'm going to be interested to see those stats because we've seen people not be able to get access to things. But then we've also seen other people who are like, I'm just staying home and this is all I'm doing. I need birth control. So it'll be interesting to see those stats. Um, but you know, the vast majority, so there's a survey um, that uh, came out showing that roughly 60% of women are actually using it for symptom management. So, and let me just say this, if you want to use it for symptom management and you've got all the information you need and you made that decision, then you do you. Like my job is just to support you in your decisions, but you have to be educated and informed in that. And that's really where I take issue in my work is how often women are not educated and informed about their bodies. You know, we've got less than 20 states in the United States that have medically accurate sex education. So most of us don't even learn about our bodies properly. Um, There's only about nine that make sure that it's inclusive and uh, culturally appropriate and appropriate for who it's being taught to, which means that. Depending on your, uh, you know, how you get separated in those classes, is it male, is it female, like that we're going to teach about? Like, you don't get all the information. So, Mm -hmm. we're really undereducated about our bodies. And it's what I do so much work around is that I really believe that you have a right to know how the body works that you live in, and you deserve all that information. But in addition, you deserve to have all the information you need to make the best decision for your body. And so what happens so often is that women go to their provider and they've got period problems or anything that's chalked up to a female hormone problem. So you've got migraines, you've got PMS, you've got breast tenderness, uh, you've got irregular periods, you've got painful periods. Your doctor's just going to reach for the pill most of the time. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge disservice because what that is, is that one, we're not actually asking why she has those symptoms. It could be PCOS. It could be hypothyroidism because P.S. like hormonal birth control will not treat hypothyroidism. It can make things worse. Um, you know, it can be endometriosis. It can be a myriad of, of, uh, issues. And so often women are past the pill and it really goes through this algorithm that I hear so often where the doctor says, well, okay, you're having all these problems. Do you want to have a baby? No, okay, we're just going to put you on the pill and then we'll deal with it if you do want to have a baby. And then women find themselves decades later wanting to have a baby and then figuring out only then that they've had a condition that leads to infertility that's been unchecked and um, you know they find themselves with you know side effects that are sometimes attributed to the pill like Weight gain is one. Yes, some women do gain weight on the pill. Um, some women do gain weight with devil. Like we see this. Um, it's not across the board, but it's also that some women get put on these things because they have irregular cycles. And why they're really gaining weight is because they have polycystic ovarian syndrome, and no one's talking to them about the cardio metabolic issues that are taking place. Mm-hmm. So it's very, you know, it's a very interesting. Time too, as we were just talking about COVID, knowing that hormonal birth control is inflammatory, there have been some researchers who have questioned with seeing the increased coagulation that can happen with having COVID. So people ending up with clots, but also seeing the inflammatory component. There have been some researchers questioning is it, and it's the pill specifically that they've been talking about, is it the best thing for a COVID patient to be on the pill? And should we? actually be monitoring things maybe ahead of time or recommending that if you contract COVID, that you come off of it. We see a big pushback from, you know, the gynecological community because, you know, the, the story goes that like, if she's ever off the pill, she's going to just get pregnant immediately. And, uh, you know, it's too dangerous. And, and that's a lot of where the fear based, uh, education comes from and the lack of education because, mm-hmm. There's this belief that if women actually knew about the side effects of birth control, if they actually knew the full story, then they would never elect to take it. To me, if you know that this is an elective drug and you are withholding information, that's coercion. You are like trying to get a patient to elect into a medical intervention that may not be in their best interest. And I just don't feel that that is anyone's place to do.
0: I completely agree. So you're what you're advocating, you're not anti pill, you're anti informed consent and informed well, and pro informed
1: consent. Yeah. I'm anti skipping it and you know yeah. putting the before the horse. But no, yeah. like um, I still prescribe hormonal birth control. There's certainly a time and a place that, you know, there was a, a minute there, there was a few years where like, nobody was coming to me. Everyone's like, no, I want off of it. I want off of it. Um, and I wasn't prescribing it anymore, but there are still times where I prescribe it. I support patients like who are going through IVF and their doctor wants to use it. There are conditions, you know, for example, like Endometriosis, where we've got to shut down a period. Well, we work on all those root cause issues because she can't even leave the house. She's Mm -hmm. vomiting and writhing in pain, and it's taking over like a week out of every single month for her. Like we can use these things together. It's not an either or, but we have very forthcoming. And if I'm ever using a pharmaceutical for symptom management, I'm very honest about that. This is symptom management. This will not treat what is going on. This is not getting the root of what's happening. You know, with women who, you know, I have patients who are like wanting to get married, we're working on healing uh, cystic acne. And they're like, can I just like have some spironolactone and birth control? Because I, I just want to have beautiful wedding photos to remember for the rest of my life. Like that's her choice. We go yeah. over like everything that's going like you know that could happen, the side effects to look out for. We do screening panels, and then I will write that prescription. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a funny thing though. So often people are like, because there are people who are anti-birth control, they really don't understand it or it's against their belief system, and that's fine. If it's against your belief system, I respect that. but we can't enforce that on other people. Yeah. But I see that so quickly on social media where if I bring up anything people are like, "Oh, she's the anti-birth control doctor." And I was like, huh? You know, see my script history. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you're just actually bringing context and full information. So let's talk about it. What are some of the things that birth control can cause that people aren't really, they're not told very often?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the big things that um, is pretty universal with the pill is that we can see nutrient depletions come up. And that is something we've known about since the 1970s. I love to hear people say, well, just eat, like just, you know, get your nutrients to your diet. And like, that's a really nice idea. People will say, a standard diet should take care of it. I'm like, a standard American diet is devoid of nutrients. Like it's, it's nutrient uh, devoid to begin with. So now we're on a medication that depletes these nutrients, like folate, B2, B6. Uh, We see issues with magnesium, zinc, selenium, vitamin A, vitamin C, CoQ10, like as we know, some of these nutrients aren't super easy to get dietarily. I mean, you take a vegan who is now on the pill, and I'm like, we've got to supplement uh, for sure. But most, you know, knowing that, if you know that, then we need to bring on a prenatal or multivitamin. And yes, you can be on a prenatal even if you don't want to get pregnant. I always get that question or will my prenatal make me get pregnant? I mean, getting healthy, the consequence of getting healthy and having unprotected sex. You might, you might get pregnant. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, with that, I think it's just really important that we be talking about that more. This is something. So when I was getting my uh, nutrition science degree, this was taught to us that if you had a person on hormonal birth control, this was one of the exceptions. So if they're on the pill specifically that they, you know, because my program was very much about like food, always food first. And, you know, not multivitamin is not going that route. But in this instance, this is the exception. They absolutely should be on a multivitamin or a prenatal because if they fall pregnant and they don't have that folate, by the time you know you're pregnant, your body already needed that folate. Your baby already needed that folate. And, you know, our foods, people will argue, well, our food supply, well, it has folic acid in it because that's cheap. And mm-hmm. like, listen, you got to put it in the food supply. Like you got to make it cheap. It's got to be economical. And yet there's all these MTHFR patients walking around that can't use it, that actually can be made worse from it. So you really can't rely on food in that instance. Another big thing that women have been complaining about since the introduction of hormonal birth control is the mood symptoms. So at this point, we have no study to say that birth control definitively causes depression or anxiety. I mean, if you take it, and you're like this caused it, I'm not gonna call you a liar. I'm just gonna tell you that the research we can't make causation statements, but there's absolutely correlations. And as I talk about in Beyond the Pill. There have been studies showing. So there's a large Danish study. I will say uh, the Danish studies, like they take they they take women's stories a lot more seriously, and they've got great uh, data to pull from. Um, but we really see this like in the Netherlands, where they are more skeptical and they are not treating this like candy that they're just giving out. And we saw it was, you know, over a million women, and there absolutely is a correlation with starting hormonal birth control and ending up prescribed a mood altering medication because now you have depression. Mm-hmm. We've seen increased, and this is not just the pill. So for people listening, we see this uh, with the Nuva Rings, the progestin based only, um, so like the IUD, Depo Provera shot. We see increased risk of suicide with our teenagers. So. This is very concerning to me because, yes, they need to have access, but they also need to have someone there for them. Because, you know, if you are a teen in some states, you can just go to a clinic, you can start this medication, nobody knows that you're on it. And then you start having thoughts of self harm and you're going into depression. Like, who's there for you? This is why, you know, when I lecture to providers, I'm like, you should do a mini mental health screening exam before you prescribe the pill. And then you should have someone in your staff just call eight weeks later because we see it really spiking in those early months. Call them eight weeks later and just check in on them so that we know this is a really sad topic, but we're seeing this younger generation or adolescents now they are at higher risk of suicide as it is. And yeah. to see that we introduce a drug that could maybe you know push them a little farther that way, we need to be doing better in medicine mm-hmm. with that. So this is one of those side effects that you know, women have been dismissed. They've been told they're crazy. They've been told there's no research. By the way, there really is no research. I mean, when we look at birth control research compared to any other pharmaceutical research, it's dismal. It is dismal.
0: Why do you think it is? What's the reason for that. Women, I guess, not given the attention they need.
1: Well, that's one thing. So women's medicine is underfunded big time. I mean, when you look at conditions like PCOS, where one in 10 are estimated to have it, it gets almost no research funding. Um, So we have that big issue. It's also the issue that the pharmaceutical industry does not want to invest in this. And like, can you blame them? Okay. Like I know people like to hate on pharma, but let's just stand back for a minute and recognize that we live in a capitalistic market in which they are a business. And this was the first drug ever implemented or introduced into the population where you didn't have to have a diagnosis or a disease to take it. You just had to have ovaries and that's it. And then there you go. Mm -hmm. And so there's that piece. There's also the piece that researchers kind of don't want to touch it because they don't want to be stigmatized and Mm -hmm. they don't want it to be a situation where they get blocked from future funding because that definitely happens. So it's very problematic in that way that we just, you know, we'll see people say like, well, there's there's, uh, absence of evidence, but absence of evidence doesn't mean absence of harm. Like, and, you know, I see so often you know, I'll see this on social media. I hear this for my patients where their doctors are like, you know, they're telling their doctor, this is happening for me. And their doctor says, well, there's no study to support that. So what you're saying can't be real. And I'm like, but how do we know what questions to ask? We know what questions to ask because we listen to our patients. And yes. this person is asking you for help. You know, there's, um, if people are interested in this, coincidentally, I didn't know Dr. Sarah Hill. We both Wrote our books independently, and Beyond the Pill came out, and then she had her book, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, coming out. It was amazing and fascinating how much of the same research. Like when I see a PhD researcher in uh, psychology uh, and specifically women's evolutionary psychology, and then she's coming to the same conclusions that I am as a clinician from the research. I'm like, okay, cool, cool, Like, like. because a lot of the things that I'm saying, like people get really angry because people haven't said it before, and yet there, there it is. And she is, uh, she does a lot of work just looking at the research, the lack of funding, what we don't know, and she challenges a lot of the gynecological rhetoric, which is that the pill's safe, um, you know, the side effects are so minimal. Why are you even asking about it? You know, things like. Things like blood clots um, that can happen to your leg, your lungs, your uh, so pulmonary embolism or a stroke in your brain—they are rare events compared, you know, compared to other you know other ways that we can develop those. And yet, we can also screen for them and mm-hmm. know. Um, and it's very interesting to me that I've seen doctors say they actually challenge the fact that I say in my book, like looking at a factor five lighted, like being on birth control does not cause you to develop a blood clot. Mm -hmm. Being on any form of estrogen increases your coagulation factors, which puts you at increased risk of developing a clot. So if you have antiphosphate lipid antibodies, we need to be cautious about using estrogen, whether it's bioidentical or whether it's synthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have factor five light I mean, you've got a mutation there. We've got a 35 fold increased risk of you developing a clot. If I'm using oral contraceptive pill with you, like I don't take that lightly, but I'll see doctors saying, we'll te- we're not going to do that as screening. Cause it's so rare. And we'll test if it ends up being, uh, an issue. I'm like, so you're going to test once a stroke has happened. Like this is the thing too, is that I get these heartbreaking stories from parents who've lost their children because their child starts the pill, they go to their, they have like flank pain and go to the ER. This happened in Canada a couple of years ago. And the girl went twice for this pain she was having in her back and she went home and she died because they sent her home and said she was fine. It was a clot in her lungs. And, you know, girls going in, uh, women are dismissed in the ER at very yeah. high rates and, you know, going in with a headache and being dismissed and going home to die from a clot in your brain. Like these are rare events, but that doesn't mean we don't talk about them. Um, an informed consent and a true informed consent for everybody listening to understand, you have to be given all of the information in a way that you understand. You have to be told the alternatives to that And you must have all of your questions answered in a way that you understand. Informed consents are not happening when it comes to birth control because it's often like, just take the pill. It's totally fine. You'll be fine. Um, But are there any alternatives? No, not really. Like, we have the pill. Like, that's it. Well, I have a question about breast cancer. Oh, don't worry. Like, you know, don't worry about that because it actually lowers your risk of ovarian and endometrial cancer. That is not an informed consent. An informed consent is saying, breast cancer risk, there is a mild increased risk. If you have a family history of it, depending on environmental factors, there's things that we could track. And let me educate you about doing home breast exams if you're truly concerned about this. And it's also important to know that you do have, let's say you have a family history of ovarian cancer, that birth control actually lowers the risk of Mm -hmm. ovarian cancer. So, you know, for you individually, we have to talk about like what the trade-off is. Like that's an informed consent not just brushing off the patient's concerns. I mean, when patients say, well, I'm concerned about weight gain, that's one that usually gets dismissed. There are women who do absolutely experience weight gain. Is it like on average, what we see, we usually see a few pounds. We can't say, oh, that's definitely birth control because the average person gains a few pounds a year. Like that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, those are some of the big side effects. Um, and, you know, I could go on so no, much warm and wrote a whole so book good. on it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, for people that want to know about this, Dr. Brighton goes through all of what to do if you're on the pill or have been on the pill, like that is the resources beyond the pill book. My friend, I, if I could have you back, if you're up for it, I'd love to talk about pregnancy. I'd love to talk about your pregnancy plans. Are you up for it? Will you? can we talk about it it? all right cool but so before we go
1: what else are we gonna do
0: (laughs) (laughs) we'll do a part two with dr brighton about pregnancy and birth experience and all that stuff because i want to cover that in detail with her but before we go the show is called the art of being well you live this in your life and you teach this to your patients but it's not something that everybody knows as this duality of the science and the art of what we do. Mm -hmm. What do you wish you knew like 15, 20 years ago about the art of being well that, that, you know, now?
1: Oh, I would say I actually was just talking to my son. So this is very timely about this this morning. And I was telling him there is an art of embracing Jomo I was actually telling him that um, the Jedi's actually master this. He's really into Star Wars. I'm like, the Jedi's (laughs) actually master this. And it's how they've become so powerful. And that is the joy of missing out. And I was telling him, so everybody understands, like I was getting a nutrition grade 20 years ago. So like, I've been eating right. I've been exercising. I've been doing all of these things that you probably would have expected me to say one big thing that I wish is to really embrace the joy of missing out. This I think has been driven home even more from COVID and really prioritizing what is most important to you. And to do that, you have to have strong boundaries and being unapologetic about having those boundaries. This is especially important. I think for women, maybe I'm just talking about myself, but based on my patients, I'm sure I'm not in that we try to be everything for everyone and help everyone. I mean, we are caretakers. The entire species exists because of this behavior. And yet it's so much of what I see contributes to chronic illness is this like, go, 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 always trying to be there, trying to do everything. I'm being worried about other people's opinions. If you ever want to get training in boundaries and really letting go other people's opinions. I recommend having a public social media account um, because that will train you really quick. But that is one of the biggest things. I think it truly is an art to really practice that joy of missing out, to have those boundaries and to do that self check-in of like, is this in my highest good? Like, is this in my best interest to pursue this And if not, then why? Why am I doing this?
0: Well said, well said. My friend, we'll have you back. Thank you for being my friend all these years and being a wealth of information for the world.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Dr. Brighton, she is a powerhouse of information and someone I really respect within our industry. If you want to learn more about Dr. Jolene Brighton, check her out at drbrighton.com. That's D R B R dot com, and be sure to check out our book, Beyond the Pill. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well being. Thanks for those, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Drew. Drew asks, hi, Dr. Cole. I recently read an article about cross-reactive food sensitivities, but I'm still unsure on what this means exactly. Can you explain? I can definitely explain, Drew. Great question. So underlying GI issues, underlying gut problems are one of the top things that I see clinically when we consult people around the world at our functional medicine telehealth center. So people that have gut components or gut centric components to their chronic issues. I mean, this is where 75% of the immune system is. This is where a lot of our hormones are converted. This is where 95% of our serotonin, our happy neurotransmitter is made and stored. It's known as the second brain. So a lot of brain health issues, hormonal problems, immune issues, autoimmune issues, obviously, which are um, immune mediated and then inflammatory problems. Inflammation is a product of the immune system. You want to look at the gut as being at least a component, a piece of the puzzle to all of these health issues and more. Even I didn't mention this, but skin issues with what's called the gut skin axis So people that have skin reactions. Oftentimes it's an outer reflection of what's going on in the gut anyways. Just for backstory, context to your question, Drew, all of those issues that I just mentioned are different things that I want to consider when it comes to issues like cross-reactivity and food sensitivities. This is, I don't want to go into a, a deep rabbit hole when it comes to this, because there is a difference between food sensitivities, food allergies, and food intolerances, and oftentimes those terms are conflated Some are immune-mediated like sensitivities and allergies, and then some are non-immune-mediated like intolerances, which is typically uh, enzyme deficiency like lactose intolerance. But that's for a different Ask Me Anything, I'll stick to your question. So what the heck is cross-reactive food sensitivities? So this is typically done through a blood test. We drop ship labs to wherever you're at. And then we coordinate with the local lab in your city or town or wherever you live. And then we get the data uh, sent to the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center. So cross-reactive food sensitivities are when foods mimic gluten specifically. That's typically the research that's looked at. That's what's talked about within the autoimmune community. And people with autoimmunity are typically the ones that we may run this lab. Not everybody with autoimmunity needs this lab, but this is something to consider. This is a lab to consider for people who've cleaned up their diet, they're eat clean, but they're still struggling with health issues. People that have gone gluten-free because they know gluten's a problem for them, but they're still having reactions to food. So we deal a lot with these complex very um, high level of cases that they've done everything. They've seen just about every doctor. They're doing all the things on their own. They've immersed themselves in Dr. Google, but they're still struggling. That's my passion. What are the missing pieces here to uh, their health puzzle? Cross-reactive food sensitivities are foods that are mimicking gluten, which is the protein that's found in wheat, rye, oat, barley, spelt, It's the main grain protein that's being researched when it comes to people with different inflammatory problems, but specifically people with different autoimmune problems. So it's the case of mistaken identity. It's it's something called molecular mimicry as when the immune system thinks that this other food protein is gluten. So if the person's gone gluten-free and it's still having symptoms... Well, cross-reactivity may be a piece to your health puzzle. So a lot of gluten-free grains like rice and quinoa and even steel-cut oats and corn. Also, what's on the array are going to be things like eggs, dairy protein, chocolate, even instant coffee. There are many different clean foods, like all those foods that I just mentioned can be part of a clean, whole foods-based diet. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. But that's the main point of functional medicine. It's bio-individuality. And what works for one person may not be appropriate for you at this point in your journey. And as your journey evolves, as your health evolves and improves not all of these things are going to be static and, and an indictment for the rest of your life or an issue for the rest of your life, but it is something that may be a part of your journey right now. So if you've gone gluten-free, if you cleaned up your diet, but you're still having food reactions, and if you run these labs and we look at these labs and let's just say that egg is positive on this test or rice or um, dairy is, is positive or corn is positive or even potato can be positive for these. What does this mean? It means your immune system thinks that those food proteins are gluten. So if rice was positive, it would be a a gluten sensitivity to rice. Or if egg was positive, it's a gluten sensitivity to egg. Or if potato was positive, it's a gluten sensitivity to potato. So it is a, it's not a potato reactivity or an egg reactivity or a rice reactivity or a corn reactivity or some sort of gluten-free grain reactivity or sensitivity, it is a gluten sensitivity to that whole food, that healthy food, that gluten-free grain, that's whatever we're talking about. There's a number of foods on that array. So it's typically a blood test that we run and then we'll go over the results. So that's what cross reactivity is I know it's confusing. I know the words like sensitivity and reactivity and intolerance and sensitivity are all conflated. But what we're talking about specifically there are immune-mediated issues. We're measuring antibodies to these foods and they are generally referred to as reactivities but a little bit more specifically is a sensitivity. Um, But reactivity is more all-encompassing for different aspects of the immune system, but they're all immune-mediated responses. Significance of that, this can raise inflammation levels up. This can contribute to your symptoms. This this can keep flares perpetuated. It's as if you've never gone gluten-free. Your immune system still thinks you're eating gluten every time you have one of these foods that are positive on the test this may not be an issue for you at all. So labs can illuminate. Is this a factor to your health puzzle or not? We're all different. And that's the heart of functional medicine. Great question, Drew. That's it for today. Thanks again for hanging out with me. I would love to know what you think about the art of being well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.